Good morning. So, um, I'm going to talk about relying on God. And let's see if this thing works. All right. So this first slide is about myself. And uh, here's a list of uh, my spiritual gifts according to a spiritual gift survey. And um, so if we check out this amazing graph, my top score is knowledge, which is kind of cool. Um, this is the only thing I scored well in. I'm kind of mediocre in uh, wisdom and teaching, which is kind of sad. I thought I'd be a bit higher there. But um, So what we should note, though, is that close to the bottom is pastoring. So the moral of this story is let's just take whatever expectations that you have right now and lower them even further. So, so anyways, relying on God. Let me uh, start off with a few stories from my time at Sayout. And these stories are just kind of interesting things that happened, but um, not nearly as probably heart or heartfelt as the ones that you're about to hear after me. So it's called Saving the Best for Last. Anyways, um, I'd always envisioned my first kiss to be something like, um, you know, after a, I've t- already taken it out a few times, uh, we go on an amazing date and have this deep emotional connection, and then it just happens naturally at some point after that. But instead, I ended up having my first kiss at Sayout outside in the church parking lot last month. I wasn't really emotionally ready for it because I didn't see it coming, and I go so far as to say it was actually stolen from me by a dog. Well, here's how it happened. Um, Her name is Shadow, by the way. She's half German Shepherd and half uh, mysterious. I don't know what the other half is. So as I'm walking past her in the parking lot, we make eye contact. Her eyes are telling me to pet her, and I know this because I understand dog psychology. So so I reach down, and um, just so we're clear, I only wanted to be friends. But as I'm leaning forward, she avoids my arms and jumps, getting me right on the lips. She just stole my first kiss, like no date, no text, no dinner, no emotional connection. And then she started licking everyone else. So I didn't even feel that special anymore. And then she started licking her butt. The sad thing was, given my personal hygiene at that point, I wasn't sure whether that made me cleaner or dirtier. So anyways, I've had some other encounters with dogs throughout the years at Sayout, and I'll tell you a few more. And uh, don't worry, this is actually leading somewhere, hopefully. Um, Let me continue the story I started last year um, about how Lewis and I would drive around picking up kids for BBS. And so we were kind of creepy with Lewis and his gangster vibe and me not shaving and Lewis's white van. Not going to lie. So one day, Lewis had an idea. He said to me, why don't we bring girls with us? 
it'll make it seem less creepy. And my initial reaction was, I think Lewis is actually insane. But then I thought about it and came to the realization that he was correct. We were two creepy guys trying to pick up kids in a white van. Bringing girls would definitely reduce our creepiness. It would legitimize everything. So I said, you're a genius. Let's do it. So the next time we went to pick up kids, we took separate vans, and we each had a female team member with us. And since we'd... Oh, let me switch the slides here. And since we'd forgotten where all the kids lived, we had to once again go door to door. So this one house that we go up to, there's a dog house in the front yard, but no dog. So whatever. I walk up to the door and I knock with confidence because I know what I'm doing. And as a bonus, I understand dog psychology. So our female team member is right behind me, as per that diagram, uh, making everything less creepy by simply existing. Props to her. All of a sudden, a huge pit bull lunges at us from behind. The girl screams and throws me between her and the dog so that I become a human meat shield. She was, uh, she was actually smaller than me, so I don't know how she did that. She, I was, one moment I was there, and the other moment I was there. Um, so now I'm right in front of the dog. And just so you know, um, for future reference, if you want me to sacrifice myself for you, I'd really appreciate it if you ask me first. Maybe, maybe a text, a dinner date, an emotional connection, you know. Anyways, I'm a foot away from getting mauled, and the only thing saving me is that the pit bull is right at the end of his leash. Have you ever had that adrenaline rush where you're so close to death? and everything just slows down. It was amazing. But, but had the dog not been at the end of his leash, I think I'd be dead, or at least hospitalized, because if he wanted to scare us off, he would probably just bark or something. Um, but he snuck up behind us and jumped us. So that tells me he wanted to kill us. So, well, you don't have to believe me, but remember that I'm an expert in dog psychology. So the owner heard the screaming and opened the door, and she couldn't get the dog to back down until she grabbed the chair and pushed him back with this. So after that, we just, um, it was okay after that. We introduced ourselves and learned that there were no kids there, so we almost died for nothing. Afterwards, I resolved in my heart to never come back to this house ever again and to switch to a different girl for next time. But what I really should have done is resolve to learn from my mistakes. Because the very next day, I was going door to door again, with this time with a different girl. And we obviously avoided the house with a pit bull. But on another part of the reserve, we came across another house with another dog in the front yard. The dog was huge, with its head reaching to about my stomach. And I had no idea what breed it was. It kind of looked like a wolf. So anyways, we'd have to cross the front yard to get to the house. I was like, well, we've come this far. I'll go check it out. We can't be here for nothing. So I approached the dog with confidence because clearly I know what I'm doing. And as a bonus, I understand dog psychology. The girl that came along was scared, so she stayed outside the yard on the road. I think this demonstrates why women live longer than men.
they're just smarter. So I approached the dog and I held up my hand and he sniffed it. We made eye contact. And because I'm an expert on dogs, I concluded that this means we're bros. So I start to walk around the dog when suddenly he lunges at me and he's definitely not coming in for a kiss. The girl screams, look out. His paws hit my chest and his jaws snap right in front of my face. Um, it's kind of like... This was, uh, this, was, this was the dog's jaw snapping. Whatever, it was, it was actually scary if you were there. Um, if he hadn't pushed me back by hitting my chest first, his jaws would have been at the right place to get my neck. But thankfully, what saved me was once again, the dog was at the very end of his leash. So I almost died again. That's twice in two days. Thank you, God. I really appreciate it. So now is the hard part of trying to bring it all back to something meaningful. So with anything that I do, um, somewhere deep down, I believe that I can do it myself. So I rely on my own knowledge or wisdom or power. And I don't even think this self-reliance is conscious most of the time. Aren't we all conditioned from birth to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent. These are all positive qualities, except when I depend on myself instead of depending on God. So where did this get me? Depending on, depending on myself almost left me dead or hospitalized were it not for God's protection. Yet God accomplished his purposes and demonstrated his power, not because I was capable or strong or had the skills or training, or understood dog psychology, but because none of those were true. It's in my weakness that God's power came through. So I'll give you my top one reasons why I don't rely on God. I actually had like a top five, but they turned out to be kind of the same. Number one is pride. Thinking that I'm strong enough. If you check me out, you'll realize that's an oxymoron. I need to go to the gym. But it's not that kind of strong. It's strong in the sense that I mostly depend on myself. I've trained, studied, and practiced. I have a strategy. I have a plan. My plan might not even need God to be there for it to happen. I've filled my life with things that I can accomplish if I work hard enough or practice or study more or try harder. Here's a question for you. Do you pray more like, God, this is what I'm going to do. Please bless it. Or, God, I really need you in my life because I can't do it by myself. How desperate are you for God? Anyways, I think it's time for some Bible. Here is uh, what we just read. Here's Paul. All right, well, let me just read it. So Second Corinthians 12, which we just heard. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
my initial reaction was, I think Paul's actually insane. When there are weaknesses, insults, hardships, difficulties, persecutions in my life, I do the exact opposite of delighting. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but that's what I do. Run away, get bitter and angry. But isn't it in the difficulties especially that I should rely on God? So one more story for you. Some years ago, um, I got sick with a really high fever, about 38, 39 degrees, for about two weeks straight, and I lost 15 pounds. So for me, that's, that's more than 10% of my body weight. After a few days, lumps the size of quarters were growing down the side of my neck. I was starting to get worried, so I asked my dad, who's a doctor, what his professional opinion was. So first, he just grabs the lumps in my neck and starts moving them around like this. And he says, does that hurt? Yes, Dad, it hurts. I I don't think my neck is supposed to move that way. That would hurt whether I was sick or not. So he says, I think you have cancer. Thanks, Dad. So... Yeah, I wasn't really emotionally ready for that one either. So I was in emergency getting IV and seeing cancer specialists and infectious disease doctors, tons of blood tests. So for a few days, they thought I might actually have lymphoma or cancer of the lymph nodes. I Googled it, and all my symptoms were identical. Everything they listed I had. So I was starting to panic and stress, like, um, what's it going to be like going through chemo? What if it's too late? What if I actually die? Maybe this is the end for me. And that's when I realized I don't actually have control over anything. Whatever I thought I could control was an illusion. I can't control whether I live or die. I can't accurately predict the behavior of dogs. I can't even determine the setting of my first kiss. But God's always in control. So I tried turning to God for strength, and my prayer was, God, whether I live or die... You have a plan. It was in those moments when I surrendered control of my life to God that I felt the peace of God. It feels really amazing. It's like, it's like the opposite of an adrenaline rush. And I wish I could say that at that very moment, I started to fully rely on God. But actually, every 30 minutes or so, I was alternating between panicking and the peace of God. In the end, I didn't have cancer, and thankfully I'm still here today. And I realized Paul is actually a genius. It's in insults, weakness, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. All those things I try to avoid that God's teaching me to rely on him. So turn to God and trust in him. Let God be your strength. Like um, like David does in this psalm, which I think I had in my slides, but I'm not sure if it's here. Oh, it is here. Okay. I've, I've underlined the parts that I think are especially interesting. So each evening they come back howling like dogs, yay dogs, and prowling about the city. They roam about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your might. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress for me and a refuge in my day of distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress. 
the God who shows me steadfast love. So let me just conclude with some thoughts and questions for you. Um, how much do you rely on God and how much do you rely on yourself? Are you desperate for God or could you get by today without him? Let me encourage you in whatever circumstances you're facing, turn to him and let him be your strength. Um, let me just conclude with some Isaiah then. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So will you let God be your strength? Um, that's all from me. Thanks for listening. Um, I highlighted e eagles up there for a reason. And could I get Alfred up here next to explain that? All right. So um, I just wanted to uh, kind of share what happened uh, uh, this year. Um, when we arrived at uh, sale this year, uh, Pastor Moses had had mentioned to me offhand, "Oh, we're going to uh, you know like to give the church a little something at the end of the week." I'm like, "Sure, okay." I didn't really think anything of it. I, usually on Friday before we leave, he gives a little speech. I thought it'd be some small memento. And on Thursday night, we have uh, something called a community dinner. And there's a service before the dinner. So there we are at service. And the church is probably the most packed I've ever seen in all the years I've been there for a Thursday night community dinner. Most people I've ever seen uh, sitting in the pews. It's a fairly small church, but well attended that particular evening. And when Moses got up to uh, speak that, uh, that night, uh, I assumed I was expecting sort of like a little mini sermon or you know, a, a talk. But the first thing he did was thank VCBC for being part of partnering with the church. And then um, he called five of us up who had been with, uh, who had gone to sale for the last 10 or 11 years. And so that was quite a surprise. Uh, I was one of them. And uh, we went up. And for the five of us, he asked an elder of the church to present each one of us with a necklace. And so this is a, a necklace from, from, from the presentation. So an elder presented each one of us one by one with 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 a necklace, and I you know later on talking to Moses, uh, he he explained that they didn't want to just go and get something from you know some souvenir shop, so they had somebody handcraft each one of them for each one of us. So I, I was I was amazed already. Okay, that was great, and then he wanted to present something to VCBC uh, uh, altogether. So Brian Lee had ac accepted on us on our behalf, but this was the uh, carving um, that they presented that night to VCBC, and I, I'm, sh I'm sure we'll be able to find a good place for it. Um, it's by a local carver named Doug LaFortune, and um, his stuff actually sells for like thousands of dollars in galleries. But uh, they, they presented this 
to thank us for for the partnership. That's very beautiful, hand carved, and they did it like in a week. So that was pretty amazing too. So I thought, wow, that's quite a lot already. That's amazing. And I thought that was the end of it. But there was one more thing. And um, at that point, he called upon uh, Pat, who is a First Nations uh, gentleman. And he came up and he said that he wanted to give us an honor prayer. And he pulled out, uh, he had a little drum, and he, he began drumming. Dun, 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 oh. The moment he started singing, the elders at the back stood up, like immediately. And it was like a wave from where I was standing, from the front to the back. Everyone just stood up, kids, hats off, hands out of your pockets, standing solemnly. Um, no one, like I've never heard the church that quiet as he went through it. It was a shake you to the core moment. It was a tug at your soul kind of moment. And um, it was just simply amazing, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, you know, poor Charlotte later had to launch from that to let's dance. You know, it was, a, it was a really hard experience for her, but um, it, it kind of encapsulated uh, what we've been doing there for the last uh, ten VBS eleven years in general. And and as as Pat sang his song, and he he said it was one of his family, it was a family song of his. As Pat sang his song, uh, what what went through my mind were all the different people over the years uh, who went. And you saw some in the pictures, and Lewis, and Nicole, and um, Kevin, and you know Christy, Mel, or Crafleys. But there's so many different people at one point or another had gone. I'd forgotten who's, who's gone. And um, just realizing how, how much a connection we've had with this community you know, one thing uh, we discovered early on was that we're not the only group that has ever visited Sale. There are many, many groups that have visited Sale over the years. We're the only group that keeps coming back year after year after year. There are probably a zillion different needs in the world, right? This is the one that we, we have chosen, and it's one that we've connected with. And I think there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of value in that. that that sometimes if there's one um, need that you can connect with on a regular basis, it can create a lot of meaning for you. And so when, when I don't know where this will be placed, but when you see this, this is, this is the meaning that we can create, that we can see and say, hey, this is a relationship that helps us understand a need, helps us see a need uh, that that brings us a lot of benefit that, that we have a partnership with and, and makes us special, makes us think about it. And now I'd like to call upon Nicole. Hey, morning. Um, my name's Nicole, and um, Brian and I were actually supposed to do the sermon together, um, but due to poor planning and also my unwillingness to tell you guys about my first kiss, um, we decided to do two separate sermons, or 
messages. Um, so this is my sixth year um, visiting Seau in the summer. Um, I think coming out of this trip, I felt like it was very different from all of the other trips I've gone on. Um, I also felt like I didn't have a lot to share with you guys because um, I felt like there's very little to share into a microphone. And what I mean by this is that um, what I experienced during Seau was very personal to me and personal to other people. Um, stories that I don't think are meant to be shared um, in a big group. Um, but one thing that has been clear to me um, after going back to say out year after year is that I felt God calling me to um, get to know the say out community beyond our VBS camp. So following this prompting this year, um, meant spending a lot of time with the youth um, who live in say out and also um, with anyone who walks up the church driveway. And at times I found this very difficult, um, hearing, listening to um, the youth and to adults in the community. I think I got um, a more direct idea of um, what kind of stories their lives hold. Um, I heard stories about broken relationships, about suicide attempts, about confusion, and about losing loved ones. Um, I heard stories that resonate with me as a person who, um, who lives in a fallen world, and I can't separate myself from um, relating to these stories because I understand the pain that they hold. Um, but these stories also resonate with, I think, another part of my identity, and that is my identity as a child of God. Um, and I think this relates to the stories and message I want to share with you today. So if we take a step backwards and start in a place that won't make sense at first, um, maybe won't be as funny as Brian, um, but let's start in a place that is, comes at the end of um, our trip when I came back home. So um, this summer I was an intern at Jacob's Well, a community in Vancouver's downtown east side. And um, after our stay out trip, I had to catch up on a lot of hours because there's a way um, and I was sitting, and I had finished um, some administrative work. And I was just sitting alone in our space, and I decided to pick up um, the Jacob's Well liturgy book. And the verse um, for that day was Romans 8. And as I was sitting there, I decided to read it out loud to myself. And then as I was reading it out loud, I began to cry because of um, how compelling the truth in these verses is and how deeply moved by it I was. Um, and as I reflected on this and my um, experiences at Seo, I think I realized that I had such a strong reaction to these verses because um, they are reflective of what I experienced at Seo this year. And they talk about a darkness that still reigns in this world, um, but also of a truth and a hope that is blooming because God's kingdom is coming. So if I were just describe to you um, what Sayout, my trip to Sayout this year was, um, I would describe it as having a sort of tension, a war even, um, that I was very much aware of during my time there. And perhaps Romans 8 has some words to lend us today um, to describe what this tension might be between. So Romans 8 talks about two laws. Um, the first law being the law of sin and death. 
is there a way I can, like, <laughs> make more things appear on my slides? Or do you have to do it for me? Okay. I'll let you figure it out. Anyways, there's two laws I've mentioned in Romans. And the first is the law of sin and death. And the second is um, the law of the spirit. And really, um, Romans is a comparison of these two laws. So the voice version of um, this verse describes the law of sin and death as an oppressive regime. Um, and it is a law that is imperfect because we are sinners. So it is God's law, but we make it ineffective because we cannot um, be righteous enough to fulfill this law. Um, but God did what the law could not do. So through his son, um, he transferred us from one law to the other. So Jesus, through dying on the cross, was a sin offering. And I love how the voice version puts it. He's a liberating king. Um, he's the bringer of the new law. So the second law um, is the law of the spirit. And what is the effect of this law? Um, it sets you free from the old law. Um, but this verse also talks about how it brings um, life and peace. And we'll talk about that a bit more later. So I think what I realized as um, I cried every single morning um, at Sayout with people um, praying with them and just being heartbroken over um, the stories they were sharing with me, um, I realized that as I was speaking God's truth to them, that some of the truth... Um, I didn't fully believe. How much do I believe that God loves me? How much do I believe that um, when Jesus says that we, he gives us perfect love, that his love is perfect and we are free from fear and from sin? How much am I free from fear? And this brought me to um, this question. You can give up on my other slides. Um, it brought me to the question, how do we live according to the old law and the law of sin and death? So how do we still let our minds be governed um, by the flesh? And if um, we can focus on um, verses 5 to 8 right now. Um, so I met Anna. She's the cook for the Say Out Learning House camp that we partner with um, last year. And through smiling at each other in short conversations with her, um, I started to get to know her. But when we arrived this year, um, Anna was in a very difficult season in her life. Um, Anna, in many ways, is the inspiration for this sermon. Um, yeah, and in my trip reflections to myself, I wrote this about Anna, and hopefully it gives you an idea of why she's the inspiration for this message, and I'll also give you an idea of um, who I see her as. So I wrote, um, I find Anna's presence reaffirming. Amidst what clearly breaks her heart and causes her much distress and pain, Anna tells such amazing stories of faith. She makes that choice. She's actively choosing to set her eyes on Jesus. So through the journey of getting to know Anna and um, praying with her and listening to her, um, I think I found a reflection of what 
Romans 8, living in someone looks like. Um, the contrast that this verse talks about between being governed by the law of sin and death and letting the law of the Spirit um, live in you. Um, so let's take a step back again into Romans. Um, Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. When I normally read this verse, um, I think of flesh desires as being very big things. So making um, the choice to cheat, to get ahead, um, to lie, and to, um, to hurt one another. Um, but I think a closer look at this verse, um, you notice that it says their minds set. And um, I think this emphasizes a point that living under the law of sin and death um, can extend into our attitudes. It can extend into our internal choices, our perception of situations, and our response in crises. Um, perhaps the voice version gives a more noticeable hint at this when it says, um, living under the law of sin and death is being oriented to the flesh. So oriented being my position, um, our focus. So what does it look like to live under this law, um, this old law that um, is described as an oppressive regime? Um, Romans says the mind governed by the flesh is death. And it can be expanded to um, be living in your fallen corrupted nature. I think what this verse is emphasizing is not that we can't come to God um, honestly and authentically. I think what this verse is emphasizing is that there's a certain hostility we have to God um, when we live under this law. We are making a choice to close ourselves to receiving what God wants to grant us or close ourselves to um, who God is. And that also puts us in a position to be a slave to fear. And I think that is a big part of um, what I have seen in my life and what I see um, in other people's lives is that sometimes we are slaves to fear. Um, but what does it look like to, to live under the Spirit, the law of the Spirit? Um, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The voice version says God's indwelling presence. So when we invite God into our lives, and we are inviting the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead to live in us. And if you really think about that, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, um, don't you think that's sort of crazy and amazing? Um, yeah, living with God in you opens you to claim an identity, um, that your identity is a child of God. And being a child of God enables you to, to cry out to him and ask for comfort, to cry, Abba, Father, when you need him. And connecting to Brian's sermon, perhaps we always need him. So this brings me back to Anna. Um, I was talking to her on Friday night um, through Facebook Messenger, and um, she asked for prayer for um, something specific. So Anna has a fiancé. His name is Eric, um, and he makes the choice to 
sometimes to smoke and to drink. And these are things that Anna doesn't agree with and um, personally does not do. And I think it breaks her heart to see him make this choice. So if you could pray for Eric um, and Anna, I think she would be honored by that and very happy um, that our church has prayed for her specifically. And, yeah, she extends her love um, to all of you and wanted to make sure I said that um, she is so encouraged by us coming back year after year and she um, sees us as family. So in Anna's life, I see a war between two laws, um, the two laws that we are talking about today. And before Anna and I usually pray together, um, Anna's usually distressed and hurting and even fearful. And in some ways, I think she has a right to be all of those things. And that is authentically where she is. Um, however, Anna doesn't choose to stay in her fear. Um, through her willingness to come to Jesus' feet, she lets Jesus in. She's making that choice. She's letting God's indwelling presence fill her up. And through praying together, we both call out to God, saying, Abba, Father, we need you. And then I always see a beautiful transformation in Anna. Um, although circumstances haven't changed, um, and there are still reasons to cry and to be upset, um, Anna always says after we pray, um, I feel better. I'm hurting no more. So I'd like to invite um, the worship team up. And I'd also like to challenge you with two questions um, today. So how can you live more fully under the reign of the law of the Spirit? So during my time in Sayout, the answer to this question for me is to proclaim God's truth um, through prayer into people's lives, into my life too. And my second question for you is... Um, how can we escape slavery and fear? Um, how can we let go of that? And I think some of the most distinct moments at Sayout that I experienced this year were experiences where people were bringing the most difficult things in my life to me. And at first I thought it was just the sheer um, heartbreak of that that made these moments distinct. Um, but what I've realized through reflecting is that um, what made these moments distinct is that they are opportunities to overthrow um, the law of sin and death and to replace it with the spirit that Jesus is um, extending to us and wanting us to hold on to. So I'll end with Romans 8:12, on the voice version. So my brothers and sisters, we owe the flesh nothing. You do not need to live according to its ways, so abandon its oppressive re regime. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.